Hey, this is Chris Hour, and I'm the Young Adults Pastor at Grace Outreach Church. God has blessed us to have an amazing young adults ministry called Rise Up, where every week young people get to come together to worship God, to dive into the Word through our small groups, and be a part of a family that believes that God wants to use each of us to grow the kingdom of God. We're about to dive into the scripture that we've been talking about in our small groups. So I hope this podcast encourages you. I hope it builds your faith. And I hope it reminds you that you're beautifully and wonderfully made. And that God has a purpose for your life. And that the best is yet to come. I hope you enjoy the message. So we are going into... Um you know, our week of seed time and harvest time. So we have been running in this series um, for a little bit now, and it's, just, it's been such a blessing for me um, just to learn this principle and to teach this principle of seed time and harvest time. You know, this is something that I think God has really been calling us as a family to start to understand this this spiritual principle that just in the same there is the uh, principle of sowing seeds naturally and then reaping a harvest naturally. Um, that I believe God gave us to understand the principle of um, seed time and harvest time in terms of our spiritual lives with Him. Um, and so this whole series again is rooted in Genesis chapter 8 when Noah and his family, you know, they get off the ark. It's a new world. Everyone else has been wiped away. Noah's about to start fresh. And God promises him, he says, that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God promises us that in Genesis chapter 8. And so therefore God promises us the same way he promised Noah um, that as long as you live, as long as the earth endures until Jesus comes back, that there will be a seed time and a harvest time, that there will be seasons in your life, um, most of the time happening simultaneously where you are constantly sowing seeds into the kingdom of God, into the people around you, into your own life, and then you will be reaping that harvest. And so our journey, our walk together is how do we continue to sow seeds into the kingdom um, while also having the faith to believe God for the harvest that's coming. Um, and so I, you know, one of the goals that God has had for us in this series has really also been looking at the idea of giving, right? That so many of us have grown up in different circles, whether uh, some of us grew up in church or maybe some of us didn't. Um, but I think every single one of us has a certain um, outlook and um, understanding of what giving looks like. And so my prayer for us has been that God would expand our idea of what giving looks like, right? That giving is not just uh, giving your money, you know, because the pastor told you so. You know, you got to give 10% because if you don't, you're a bad person. If you don't, um, you know, you're, you're cursed or anything like that. I don't believe in that. I believe that because Jesus died for us on the cross, that um, Jesus took away every single curse that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, and I do believe that God loves you all the same, no matter whether you give to the church or whether you don't. But I do believe that there is is a spiritual discipline in giving, um, but I also believe that giving is so much bigger than just finances, right? And so we've been talking about the idea of us as believers being called to give not only of our time, but also our talent and our resources, right? That God calls us to give our resources financially, but he also calls us to give of our time in serving, right? And serving God's kingdom and also of our talents of using the gifts and the abilities that um, God gave us. And so in giving of our time, our talent, and our resources, that is actually a form of worship, right? That you are you are worshiping God, you're magnifying God by giving Him your time, your talents, and your resources. Um, and so we have been going through a lot of this series. We've been looking at 
you know, different letters from Paul, right? Because Paul is someone that uses consistently this idea of sowing and reaping, right? That Paul drives, Paul drives this parallel, right, between the natural sowing and the natural reaping and of the harvest and um, of agriculture. Paul, Paul uses that idea to help us understand and to help the churches that he was writing to, to understand the spiritual disciplines behind sowing and reaping, right? And so we've been looking at a lot of Paul's letters. Um, and I think that, you know, this is important for us because as we dive into this week, uh, you know, we've talked about the different seeds that we've sown. Um, but something that I want to look at this week that I'm so, so excited for and I'm so passionate about is not just the seeds that you're sowing. But what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the seeds that we're sowing into other people. Right, because that is a part of our uh, discipline of sowing and reaping. Is that constantly, whether you know it or not, um, whether you recognize it or not, honestly, whether you're a believer or not, you are constantly sowing seeds into other people. Right, that you are having an effect on other people, and especially as believers, that every single relationship in your life, whether it's your roommates, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your coworkers, or whether it's that weird dude that you met on the street, or whatever. You are sowing spiritual seeds into other people. And so uh, what I want us to do is this week we're going to go into Galatians chapter uh, 6. And we're actually going to go to a scripture that we hit way back in the beginning of this series. And I want to I just walk through these verses because, man, these verses are so good. Um, and it's, just, it's been blessing me like crazy today as I've been prepping for this. Um, so we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. And the book of Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in uh, Galatia. And these uh, church members, Paul had spent some time with them. Paul had sown a lot of seeds spiritually into these believers, right? He has taught, he's uh, taught them about the gospel of grace. And then as well, you know, Paul was really the forerunner and the pioneer of bringing the uh, the gift of salvation to the Gentiles. And so what was actually happening was this letter was actually written in response to some of the believers in the church. Some people call them Judaizers and not, not womanizers, Judaizers. Um, and these Christians, these believers were trying to essentially force Gentiles to adhere to the law of Moses, whether it's through circumcision, um, to adhere to that law in order to get salvation. And so Paul heard about this and he saw that these, these, uh, these Judaizers were trying to um, pervert the law of grace that he had preached and having the Gentiles live underneath the law of Moses. And so that was part of the response in Galatians um, was that Paul was writing in response to that. But then also some of these believers were trying to discredit um, Paul's authority as an apostle, right? And so this whole letter that Paul is writing to the Galatian, uh, to the Galatians is a defense, essentially, right? And so what we see is that Paul had sown these seeds into the church in Galatia. And what we see is that the devil right now had been trying to dig these seeds up, right? And so this whole letter is a response that Paul is giving to try to fight for the seeds that he had sown, right? And I love that. And I think that's so important for us because I think that as a church and as believers, we need to get back to a place where we are willing to fight for the seeds that we've sown, right? That I think so many of us, we sow seeds and we just like, like sit down and we're just like, all right, well, I sowed it. You know, I prayed the prayer. I'm done. But what we tend to forget is that the devil, every single day of your life, the devil is trying to, to dig up the seeds that you've sown. He's trying to plant other seeds, seeds of bitterness, seeds of insecurity, seeds of doubt into your life. And so what I love what Paul is doing in this whole letter, chapters one through six, right? Front to back, Paul is defending himself, right? He's defending himself. He's defending the gospel. 
people and then he's giving them application for their lives. And so what I've been hearing in my spirit is that I need to get to a place where I am willing to fight for the seeds that I've sown, right? That I'm willing to fight for the seeds that I've sown in my life, right? And I'm not saying that we should go and grab a pitchfork or grab a shotgun or whatever that might be. No, 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 because 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul also writes, he says, he says, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, our weapons, the way that I fight, the way that I fight my battles in my life is, is by worshiping God, right? The way that I fight my battles is by serving and by loving. And I just, I, I love this letter because Paul is fighting for the seeds that he's sown, right? That he sowed the seeds into the church and he sees that the enemy is trying to bring them back to a place where they were living before they were saved by the grace of God. And the enemy will always try to bring you back to living in a place of oppression underneath the laws that you had lived before. But what Paul is trying to do is Paul is trying to fight that and he is willing, hallelujah, to write this letter to them to try to defend the seeds that he had sown. And so this letter in Galatians is, uh, it's, 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 it's great because, you know, what Paul does is he writes the first two chapters um, are all Paul trying to defend his identity as an apostle, right? That these believers, they were starting to question Paul's identity um, that he had as an apostle. And so Paul writes for the first two chapters, um, essentially defending his authority as an apostle, right? And I think that that's so important. Just a quick sidebar for a second is that is that whenever you are doing the will of God, hallelujah, whenever you are walking into your calling, the enemy will always try to attack your identity, right? That the enemy, hallelujah, with Paul right here is that Paul was going around, he was preaching the gospel, he was preaching a gospel of salvation, right? And so what the enemy, what the devil was seeing is the devil wanted all the Jews to continue to live underneath the law of Moses, right? He didn't want them to accept the grace that Jesus had bought for them. And so the devil was trying to use other people to attack Paul's identity and his authority as an apostle. And so what I believe is the devil still continues to try to attack your identity and your worth when you are running after and when you are walking into the calling that God has called you to be. But the amazing part is that we are here by grace. And so the reality is that I don't have to be good enough, right? But the devil will always try to convince you that, oh, you're not good enough or, oh, you know, you're not special enough or, oh, look at all these other people. They have it all figured out, but you're still wrestling with this or you're still doing this. And the enemy will try to attack your identity and try to convince you that you are not good enough. But what I see Paul doing in the first two chapters is Paul is defending his identity. He's defending his worth. And so for the chapters one and two, he's defending himself. And then chapters three and four, hallelujah, we see that Paul defends the gospel of grace, right? So Paul is now defending uh, the gospel of grace that he preached to the church. And then chapters five and six, where we are this week is Paul is giving application to life under grace, right? So Paul is essentially saying, hey, you know, this is the life that God has called you to live. Do not go back to the life that you used to live. Live in this life of grace, but I'm going to actually give you application for how to live this life. Right, and so that's chapters five and six. And so what I want us to do is we're gonna just quick read in Galatians chapter six, and then we're gonna dive into it for a couple minutes. I'm excited for this. So Galatians chapter six, we're gonna go verses one through ten. So I'm gonna read this. So Galatians chapter six, verses one through ten. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If any of you think you are something when you are nothing, you deceive yourselves. 
Each of you should test your own actions. Then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to somebody else. For each of you should carry your own load. Nevertheless, those who receive instruction in the word should care, should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow. Those who sow to please their sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Those who sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, hallelujah, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. All right, let's pray before we dive into this. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. God, I thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being here right now, God. I pray that you would anoint my words, God. I know that it is all by your spirit, God. It's not by our power. It's not by our might, God. It's by your spirit, Lord. So I pray that you would encourage somebody today, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to us through this word, and I pray that you would get the glory, God. So grow us into the men and the women that we've called, been called to be, Jesus. And I pray that we would be committed to growing your kingdom, God, to sharing the love and to sowing seeds into other people, God. So I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And God, I thank you for what you're going to do, God. In your holy name, I pray. Amen and amen and amen. All right. Well, these verses, you know, I could spend days on these. You know, we got 10 verses here that are absolutely awesome. So what I think we're going to do is we're just going to like go down through them. We're just going to go one after another, and I love what Paul is doing in these verses. I think they are so good. Um, And something that that we see in these 10 verses that is not unique to this, right, that this is something that is very consistent throughout Paul's letters, is that Paul, right, he he divides this very clear and distinct um, difference between, as a believer, sowing into the flesh and sowing into the spirit, right? So wherever you read throughout Paul's letters, you will see this consistent theme that Paul has of dividing the believer into the spirit and the flesh, right? That what Paul says is Paul says that when you get saved, right, that yes, your spirit becomes made new, right? That your spirit gets born again and that your spirit is renewed with Christ, that it's born again and it becomes alive. But what doesn't happen is your flesh doesn't get reborn, right? That as a believer right now, I, you, all of us, we are in the middle of this turmoil, this battle within ourselves until we go to heaven of the battle between our spirit and the battle between our flesh, right? And I think this is really important is because what the enemy says is the enemy tries to convince you that when you get born again and when you continue to struggle with the temptations and the sin that you struggled with before, the enemy tries to convince you of, oh, you know, I must be like broken, right? There's something not right with me, right? That God can't use me because I still struggle with the same temptation, because I still struggle with the same sin, right? That I look around at every other believer in my church and I'm convinced that they don't struggle with anything, right? That they don't ever struggle with pride or they don't ever struggle with pornography or lust, right? Or they don't ever struggle with jealousy, right? Or insecurities that I'm the only one here, right? But what Paul does is Paul clearly lays this out for us. He says that, hey, even once you get saved, you're still going to have this flesh that you're going to have to wrestle with, right? That even when you get saved, you are still going to have this part of you that is going to want to go back to what you were used to, right? And so I love that this distinction here that Paul says in verse one, he says, brothers and sisters, right? Remember, this is, this is a letter to the church, right? Galatians, 
is the church in Galatia, right? And so this letter is not to the, just to the sinners outside the church, right? That Paul says, brothers and sisters, right? If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, right? And I love that. I think we can just like stop right there, right? Because again, Paul in verse one, he says, if someone is caught in a sin, there's another translation in the King James, right? The more, uh, the more anointed translation, um, it says that if someone is overtaken in a sin, that you should restore them gently, right? And I think that this is so important for us as a church because if we are not careful, because we, when we get hurt by other people, right? So when you come to church, right, you, you committing yourself to a church family, you are committing yourself to relationships that are going to hurt you. Right. And I think one of the problems nowadays in our church is that we have people that are going around that, you know, they go to a church and then someone hurts them. And then we play the victim card and we start blaming everyone else in the church. And we say, I'm going to leave this church because these people here aren't loving. Right. They hurt me. Right. And then you go to another church and someone else hurts you and you say, oh, well, this church is hurting me. These people aren't loving me. I'm going to go to another church. And then we continue to hop from church to church to church because we are having two broken people come together and try to do relationship. Right. If you have person A that is broken and person B that is broken, you're going to get hurt no matter what. But what the devil tries to do is the devil tries to convince you that if you are hurting people or if you are struggling with a temptation, if you're struggling with a sin even, right? Because look at, look at the wording that Paul uses. Paul says that if someone is caught in a sin or King James, if someone is overtaken by sin, right? So look at the picture that that paints because what that tells us is that tells us that when you're wrestling with sin, it's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you're not broken. It's because there is the enemy out there that is trying to overtake you, right? That there is sin that the enemy is trying to throw at you. And because you're human, because you're fallen, because you're, um, you know, normal, that you are at times going to be overtaken by sin. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's simply because the devil doesn't like you, right? I'm going to say that again. It's not because you're broken, right? You, you, you struggle with temptation. You struggle with sin. It's not because you're not good enough. It's because the devil doesn't like you, right? The devil does not like you, and the devil sees something in you that has the potential of growing the kingdom of God. So that's why the devil's paying attention to you right? That if the opponent is paying attention to you, then that must mean that you're important, right? Because the devil cannot be everywhere at once, right? He cannot attack and cannot be everywhere and know everything at once. He is not omnipresence. He is not omnipotence, right? The devil needs to be very strategic about who he is attacking. That's why, that's why when you start to see, right, that, man, I just, you know, I spoke to this person, you know, and I encouraged them, or man, I had this really good conversation with somebody, or man, I had this worship experience that was just amazing. I felt so close to God. And then the next day, something crazy happens, right? The next day, you know, you wake up with anxiety or the next day, you know, the car breaks down or the next day, you know, the kids start acting crazy and the next day the roommates start, you know, doing something that annoys you. Something goes on. It's because the devil doesn't like you. That's the reason why there are times where the devil starts attacking you. And so I want us as a family, you need to start changing your perspective on the attacks that the enemies brings your way because, because what the enemy has been convincing you is the enemy has been convincing you that because you're struggling with this, it means that you're not good enough. Or you're doing something wrong. But what we want to see is that, man, if the devil's attacking me, that he must really think that I'm important. Right? Because the Bible says and Paul says that there will be believers right, in the church, brothers and sisters, that are overtaken by sin. But he says in verse 1 that we have a responsibility to restore that person gently. Right, Restore that person gently. I think that word restore is so important. 
because I think as a church, capital C church, I think that there are two camps that we typically go into, right? That when we see sin, I think it's amazing that we have an institution, an organization that is built on sinners that we do not know how to handle sin. Right? We don't know how to respond to sin because the church nowadays, you know, you go into the church and you put on your mask and everything's perfect, everything's okay, and we don't know how to respond when a brother or sister, you know, sins and, you know, we hear about it or we see it and we don't know how to deal with it. So you typically have two responses. You have response A, which is all the conflict avoiders, right, that says, okay, I'm going to ignore this. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to pretend like it never happened because I do not like conflict and I'm actually okay with sin happening as long as I don't need to confront that person. Right, because we are so nervous of my man. If I confront that person, are they not going to like me? Or I'm just going to ignore it, you know, because you know I just don't want to have that conflict. And then we allow sin to start to build up. We allow seeds of bitterness and seeds of you know seeds that are not of God, you know, to continue to grow inside of our churches. You have that one response of either I'm going to ignore it, pretend that it never happened, or you have response two, which is the church that you know condemns and demonizes the person, right, for for being sinful, right, that we make them feel shame we make them feel guilt you know we make them feel like when they walk in that they don't belong anymore right because we're cold to them or you know we start gossiping about them right in in reality every single one of us are sinners right it's just, it's just some people's sins are on the outside some people's sins are on the inside right that we tend to demonize people that you know commit adultery or people that are drinking or people that are having sex but yet the ones that are prideful in their hearts that nobody can see we don't say anything about the pride right we talk about you know all, you know, we talk about all these other sins but yet we don't talk about pride or we don't talk about jealousy or the things on the inside right but what paul says is he says that you have a responsibility as a believer, as a child of God, to restore that person gently, right? That means that we are supposed to be committed to walking with our brothers and sisters when they're struggling with sin, right? That when our brothers and sisters, when they're struggling with sin, when they've been overtaken by sin, it's your responsibility to have the maturity to understand that it is not them that is going through that. It is the enemy that is putting that sin on and that is trying to oppress them, right? But so many times when people are struggling in sin, we tend to to demonize the person and to say that person is bad, that person is evil, that person is broken, look at what they did. And we forget that it's actually the enemy and the spirit of the evil one that is actually overtaking them with sin, right? And then it's our job as believers to walk with them and to restore them gently, right? Not to fill them with shame, not to fill them with guilt, but actually to sow seeds of love and to say, hey man, thank you so much for telling me. You know, hey sister, I'm so glad that you told me that. You know, I want to walk with you and I want to continue to help you with this. And I'm going to be consistent with you, right? And then we start sowing seeds of love instead of seeds of shame and guilt in other people's lives, right? Like that the enemy is always trying to plant seeds, right? For this week, I want you to hear this, is that the most important seed that you will sow is the seeds that you sow into other people, right? That we have the enemy, right? The Bible says that the devil is prowling around like a lion trying to devour us, right? And so day after day, right when you wake up, the enemy is trying to sow seeds of self-doubt, right? He's trying to sow the seeds of bitterness, of anger, of jealousy all the time. And so what we're called to as believers is to sow seeds of love into each other, right? To sow seeds of forgiveness over each other, right? And then because in verse 1, Paul says that we're supposed to restore each other gently. 
right? We need more people that are committed to restoring our brothers and sisters, right? Not, not pushing them out, not demonizing them, right? Not ignoring the sin, right? Saying that, yeah, you know, that's not right, right? That that grieves the Holy Spirit, that that's not an obedience to the word of God, but I'm not going to demonize you. I'm going to walk with you, right? I'm going to do everything in my power by the power of the Holy Spirit to restore your heart and allow you and to help you walk in the spirit, right? Because then in verse two, Paul says this, he says, carry each other's burdens and in in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right? I love this verse. Verse 2 is like one of my favorite verses. I'll probably say that about every single one of them. But Paul says in verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens. Right? And I love this because of two reasons. Right? The first one is that because there are two assumptions that Paul makes in that statement. The first assumption is that he says, is he says, carry each other's burdens. There is an assumption there that in order to carry each other's burdens, that's saying that each of us are going to have burdens, right? Which, which the reason why I love that is because that speaks against the lie that the devil has been speaking to you that you have committed yourself to for some crazy reason, right? That you are the only one that has burdens, right? That you are frustrated and you're upset and you allow the devil, when you walk into your friend group, when you walk into your church, you've allowed yourself to look at everyone else and say, man, nobody else struggles with what I'm going through. Nobody else is struggling with anything. That There's something that must be wrong with me that, yeah, God would use all of them because they're not struggling with this, right? I mean, in reality, the person that you're looking at is over there saying the same thing that's saying, man, God, you, I'm, I'm struggling with this, that I've been struggling with this my whole life, God, that Lord, I don't know how you'd ever use me, but that person over there, you're totally going to use them because they don't struggle with this, right? Because the devil continues to try to convince you that you are the only one that is struggling with these things. But in reality, we're all struggling with these burdens and it's all by the grace of God that God uses it because God is not about just growing us up, but he's actually about growing his kingdom. And so God's committed to using broken people, right? That God's not looking for you to be perfect. God just wants you to be after his own heart. He wants to be after the kingdom of God, right? But the enemy will try to convince you that you're the only one that's wrestling with anything, right? And the second assumption that I love about verse two is that Paul is saying that we are not made to carry this burden alone, right? That that God made us to be in relationships. That means that when you try to carry your burden on your own, when you try to hide the sin or the temptation in your life, and you try to, you know, oh my, man, I can't tell anybody about this because I'm going to be, you know, they're going to look at me wrong. You know, they're going to, you know, make fun of me. They're going to, you know, all these things. And when you try to carry that burden on your own, that you start to experience anxiety. You start to experience heaviness, right? You start to experience fear, right? All these things because you're trying to carry a weight that God never designed you to carry, right? You're trying to carry something on your own, but God is a relational God. That means that God, you know, God being in perfect community with himself made us in his image to be in perfect community with each other, right? And even though we're broken, that we are called to be in community with each other, right? And that means loving, that means carrying each other's burdens, right? And when I read this verse the other day, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was actually Genesis chapter four. Right. In Genesis chapter four, you got Adam and Eve, you know, they have their children, you know, they have Cain and Abel, their first two children. And the Bible says that Cain and Abel, they both gave sacrifices to God. And the Bible says that Cain got jealous of his brother Abel because God looked on Abel's sacrifice as, um, you know, worthy. And then he looked at Cain's sacrifice because it wasn't the first fruits of his work that God was displeased with Cain's um 
sacrifice. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 that Cain then goes out and he kills his brother Abel. And then God comes back to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? Right? God asks this rhetorical question. But Cain says this response in Genesis chapter 4 that rang out of my spirit when I read this. Cain, in all of his anger and his jealousy, he yells out at God. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Right? And God's response as you continue to read Genesis chapter 4 and then Paul's statement here in verse 2 in Galatians chapter 6 seems to culminate to this resounding answer to Cain of, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, right? That we and everyone that's hearing this right now as brothers and sisters, you are your brother and sister's keeper, right? That you are responsible for your brothers and sisters' well-being. Hallelujah, Jesus, that we are responsible to pour into and to sow seeds of love and of joy and of forgiveness. And when you are not forgiving your brothers and sisters, when you are not serving and loving your brothers and sisters, that you are not doing what God has called you to do, which is to be your brother's keeper, right? That we have a devil, we have an enemy that is running around trying to tear down our brothers and sisters, trying to fill them with guilt, with shame, with with all these insecurities. And we are standing there on the sidelines and because we're insecure about ourselves, right? Because we're filled with pride, right? That we're like, man, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to encourage my brother and sister because if I encourage them, then I'm not going to feel good about myself, right? But yet we are standing here in, in Genesis chapter four, Cain said, he said, am I, bro- my, my, am I my brother's keeper, right? And then in, in Galatians chapter six, verse, verse two, Paul says that we are called to carry each other's burdens. That means, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And if you are walking around and you are the most important person in your life, then you are not living a life that is according to the Spirit of God because the Bible says that God gave His only Son. That means that God gave. In other words, we were created in the image of God, and so therefore we are called to give our lives to other people, right? That no greater love than this, than for one to lay down his life for his friends. That means, yes, you, me, all of us, I am, you are, we are each other's keeper, right? That means that we have a responsibility to sow seeds of love into each other, right? That means that when I walk into the room, right, that I'm thinking in my spirit, I'm saying, okay, you know, I don't know what the devil was trying to tell you this week. I don't know if he was telling you that you're not good enough. So what I'm going to do, you know, is I'm going to come up, I'm going to tell you, man, you are so good at singing. You are so good at what you do. Man, thank you for being here. I'm so encouraged by you that the spirit of God is on you, right? That God speaks through you, right? And when I sow that seed of encouragement in your life, that I'm building you up, that I'm acting as your keeper, right? But I think so much now in the church that we are not acting as our brothers and sisters keeper, right? That we are completely in this for ourselves that we're saying, man, you know, I'll, I'll be your keeper as long as I'm getting filled, right? I'll be, I'll be your keeper as long as I feel good about myself. I'll be your keeper. I'll take care of you as long as I, my needs are being kept, right? But this is the crazy part. And I want you to follow this because this absolutely blew my mind. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would give me the, um, the ability to, to, to preach this to you. So in verse two, Paul says this, he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now focus on that second half. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, what is the law of Christ? Okay, so this whole book, this letter of, you know, the letter of Galatians was written to believers that were struggling with the legalistic mindset of the law of Moses. Okay, so in the Old Testament, before Jesus, everyone was underneath the law. It was all about your works. But then Jesus came and all of a sudden Jesus died on the cross. He lived a perfect life for you and for me and for all of us and all the people in Galatia. And so... 
in that, they were now under the law of grace. And so what Paul was writing to is he was writing because these, these believers were starting to go back to the life of living under the law, right? And so what Paul said is Paul said, no, 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 no. If you want to fulfill the law of Christ, right, the law of Christ, what is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give you. Right? He says, all the commandments that I gave you before, you know, that God gave you in the Old Testament, you know, the Israelites, all that stuff moving up until now. You had all these laws, all these rules, all these things. And then in John chapter 13, Jesus says, he says, a new commandment I give you. He says, love one another. That's it. That, that, that is our commandment now. As believers that are living under the new covenant, your one commandment, the umbrella commandment, the law of Christ that God gave us was to love one another. And so with that being said, now that you know that, Paul says in verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right? So in other words, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of love. Right? So he says that when you carry each other's burdens, that is when you will fulfill this law of love. So when you carry each other's burdens, that's how you love one another. So in other words, Paul is saying, flip it around, he's saying that you are loving one another when you are willing to be committed to carrying each other's burdens. Right? In other words, that you cannot say that you are committed to loving someone in the biblical love that we talk about in the Bible. You cannot say that you love someone if you are not willing to carry their burdens. Right? If you are loving somebody until they hurt you, you are not loving them at all. I would say that that is a worldly, selfish love. But what Paul calls us to do is he says that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, right? The love that God calls us, the law of Christ, to love your neighbor, hallelujah, to love one another, that love comes from being committed to carrying the burdens of our friends, right? That when I say I love you, right, that what I'm saying is I'm saying I am willing and I am committed to carrying your burdens, that I'm not just in this relationship for the times that you fill me up, or the times that you make me feel better, that I'm in this even when you are overtaken by sin, that when if you get overtaken by sin, I'm going to be committed to pick up that burden. I'm going to be committed to be praying for you, Holly, to be worshiping for you, to be running after you even when you hurt me, right? That if you continue to hurt me, Holly, that if I'm committed to you, then I'm going to run after our relationship. I'm going to forgive you, right? I'm going to remember, hallelujah, that I am here to carry your burdens. And so what Paul says is he says that you will fulfill the law of Christ as you carry each other's burdens and I absolutely love that verse that we are called to carry each other's burdens not just to love somebody when they are you know filling you up right but you are committed to loving somebody no matter what right to running after them right and then what's amazing is verse three through five is you know Paul then goes on he says you know if any of you think you are something you are nothing you deceive yourselves each of you should test your own actions then you'll take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to someone to somebody else for each of you should carry your own load nevertheless those who receive instruction yeah and just you know you got three verses here three four and five where Paul is just hitting that pride Right? He's just saying right, that so many of us, you know, we look at other people's sin, we look at other people, what they're struggling with, we look at other people's burdens, and we tend to just you know, pick apart their burdens. Right? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said it. He said, you know, why do you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Hallelujah. Jesus was just a savage. Right? He was like, why are you looking at the speck in your neighbor's eye when there is a log in your eye? 
right? And I think one of the things that I found in my life is that pride is something that, that, that robs us of the peace that God is trying to give us, but pride is also something that stops people from receiving the help that they need, right? But what I believe is that because God is a relational God, hallelujah, God will not allow us to get to where we need to go in terms of our calling, and God will not allow us to be the men and the women that God have called us to be if we are not willing to humble ourselves and to get help from other people right? Hallelujah. That if we are not willing to humble ourselves and to say, God, I can't do it on my own, that I need people in my life, God, to help carry my burden and I'm going to love them and I'm going to be committed to, to carrying their burdens when they struggle, right? That we can't possibly be who God has called us to be, right? Because Paul says it, he goes three verses, three, four, five. He says, man, if you got pride, you're not going to get to where you need to be. And then if that's not enough, Paul goes all those five verses then to get to verse six. And I want to read verse six really quick. Verse six, he says, Nevertheless, those who receive instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. This is a crazy verse that I am so happy that we get to talk about because preachers and pastors absolutely hate to talk about this verse. Because let me read it. It says, nevertheless, Paul says this. He says this to the church. He says, nevertheless, people in Galatia, churchgoers, he says, those who receive instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. In other words, that you as a believer you know, prayerfully, you have someone in your life that is feeding you spiritually, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a mentor. Um, you have someone in your life that is spiritually feeding you. And what Paul was saying to the church is he was saying that you, as someone that is getting instruction from someone else, you should be committed to serving the one that is feeding you. That's why pastors hate this because, you know, they're not going to preach to a church of, hey, y'all are supposed to take care of me as a pastor, right? And I'm telling you, pastors hate this to the point that Martin Luther, Right? 1500 Reformation, Martin Luther, 95 Thesis, the one that translated the Bible into German, you know, that, that Martin Luther, right? Huge Martin Luther. He said this, this is a quote. He said, Martin Luther said, these passages, he's talking about verse 6, he's saying, these passages are all meant to benefit us as ministers. I must say, I do not find much pleasure in explaining these verses. I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit, right? Martin Luther said that. He said, I don't like preaching about Galatians chapter six, verse six, because it seems like I'm just trying to preach for my own benefit. But guys, this is the reality that God set up that Paul was talking about is that as believers, right? That me as a believer, I am committed to serving my pastor, right? That my pastor, Pastor Paul Robinson, right? That is, you know, that is the pastor of Grace Hour Church where I'm going right now, I am committed to serving him, right? The spiritual mentors in my life that are, that are pouring into me, right? the ones that are pouring into me, that are teaching me, that are guiding me, I actually have a responsibility to pour back into them, right? But so many times in the church, the issue that we have is that we, you know, the ones that are getting fed, right? We just tend to forget about the ones that are feeding us, right? The devil somehow convinced us that they somehow are not human and they don't struggle with burdens in just the same way that we do, right? But God's just called them to be this leader, but we tend to forget about them. And that's why we see so many pastors, they're getting attacked from the enemy. That's why we see so many things on the news or whatever, of pastors not making or pastors, you know, having different struggles in their lives. And we look at that, we're like, wow, how did they get that far away? But in the reality, it's because they got so far away because nobody was taking care of them, right? That they were so busy taking care of you guys and you guys never thought for a second that that pastor was struggling with the same stuff that you were. And then because they had no one pouring back into them, they were out there on their own. 
right? And I'm just saying this for all the pastors that don't want to say it, that the congregation, the people that, that they're serving have the responsibility to take care of the pastor, whether that's financially, whether that's spiritually, whether that's emotionally, right? That pastors need protection just as much as everybody else. Right, but pastors hate talking about verse six because it's saying, you know, I need help. You know, they're like, I don't want, you know, my the people in my church to feel like I'm telling them that I need money or whatever. But like, yes, you totally do. Like Martin Luther, like you can ask for help. Like pastors, you need the help because the devil is trying to get after the kingdom. And if the devil can take down the pastor and the one that's leading the church, then where are all the sheep gonna go? Right, but verse six it says, you know, it says that that you are supposed to, nevertheless, those who receive instruction in the word, to share all good things with their instructed. That means the people that are spiritually pouring into you, be committed to pouring back into them, whether that's encouragement, whether it's you know, you telling them how much you love them or how much you're thankful for them. Because I can tell you that person that's that's pouring into you is going through some burdens in their life. Hallelujah. And that what you'll do actually, and check this out, you know, this this might sound a little selfish, but this is real, in a sense that If you pour into the person that's pouring into you, that's going to give them more to pour back into you, right? That if they're just always pouring out and no one's pouring back into them, they're not going to be able to pour out as much into you. But if you're focused on pouring back into them and telling, man, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for being so committed to me. Thank you for serving me, for loving me. I want to serve you. How can I serve you? How can I love you? And going out of your way to serve them. Hallelujah. That is the structure that God set up. So I love verse six. I just had to talk about it. I think it's so good, but you know, nobody ever reads it because verse six is right before verse seven and verse seven is like tattooed everywhere on the earth, right? And everyone talks about verse seven, right? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow, right? Verse seven, is talking about verse six, right? He's saying, don't be deceived. People reap what they sow. If you're not sowing into not only the spiritual mentors in your life, but if you're not sowing into the people in your life that are are loving you, then you are gonna reap what you sow. And we got so many believers that your faith is completely centered around yourself. You have an egocentric faith of what can I get out of God? What can I get out of a relationship with God? What can I get out of my roommates? What can I get out of my family? Right, all these things. But what if God was calling us to be not self-centered? There's gotta be a word for that. I don't know what it is though. I can't think of it. Not self-centered. Selfless, that's it. Praise the Lord. What if God was calling us to be selfless and saying, man, it's actually not about me, that I'm going to be committed to sowing seeds into other people, right? If I'm looking to reap a harvest of joy and of love and of the fruits of the Spirit, hallelujah, then I need to follow the calling that God has on my life, which is to sow seeds into other people, that it's actually not about me, God. That's the whole point of this whole thing, Lord, is that I am called to put others first. I'm called to lay down my life for other people. Right? And then you go on to verse 8. And verse 8 says, Those who sow to please their sinful nature, from that nature they will reap destruction. Destruction. Right? That if we are sowing into our flesh, right? If we are sowing, you know, in Galatians chapter 5, he goes through that. If you're sowing into yourself, into your flesh through sexual immorality, through impurity, through debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft, right? Hatred, right? Right? If you are taking witchcraft and if you are manipulating the people around you that you are not going to be able to reap a life of joy, right? You got people that are looking for peace and yet every single one of your relationships you're trying to manipulate to get stuff out of them, right? Because you're struggling with insecurity, whatever that might be. If we are sowing into our flesh through sexual morality, right? Right? If we're going around and we're sleeping with other people and if we're not being obedient to what God has called us to be, which is abstinent until marriage, right? And practicing that, then we will not be able to reap a life of joy and of peace. And if you continue to sow into your flesh, then you're going to reap 
destruction. That you're going to be somebody. You're going to continue to drift. You're going to continue to feel. And if we continue to sow into our flesh, hallelujah, we're not going to reap in the Spirit. But the Bible says that if you sow into the Spirit, what does that mean? If you're sowing your time, your talent, and your resources, hallelujah, then you are going to reap a harvest of righteousness. Right? I'm not telling you that God loves you any more or less. You're any, any less righteous because you're righteous by the blood of Jesus. And God promises that if you confess your sins to one another, hallelujah, then he is faithful and he's just to cleanse us, hallelujah, of all unrighteousness and to forgive us of our sins. But with that being said, that God is calling us to sow seeds into the kingdom of God. Right? That when you sow seeds into other people of love and of encouragement, that you will reap a harvest of righteousness. Right? That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up. Right? And that's what I've been hearing in my spirit is that we have a bunch of believers that we are you know, struggling with insecurity. We're, tr- we're struggling with doubt and all these things that are super real. But the problem is, is that if we would just start encouraging other people, right? If you got 10 people in a room that were all committed to encouraging each other, hallelujah, do you all know how much we would be digging up those seeds that the enemy's trying to plant inside of us? That every single one of us, no matter how much someone might look like they have it all together, I can tell you that they are struggling with something, that there is a burden that they are carrying. And that God is calling you to start encouraging other people, to start sowing seeds of serving and of loving and of forgiving in other people's lives, right? Because the Bible says, Paul says, he says, those who sow to please their sinful nature, right? From that nature, they will reap destruction. Those who sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life, right? That God is calling us to sow our time, our talents, and our resources into the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says, let us not become weary in doing good. Hallelujah. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest when we, if we do not give up. I love it that it says the proper time, right? Because again, we're talking about sowing seeds into people, right? I can tell you that there are people in my life that I am sowing seeds into believers and non-believers. And if you're sowing seeds of love and of forgiveness, and if you're praying for somebody that doesn't know the Lord yet, and if you haven't seen a harvest, hallelujah, I just want to tell you that God is working on that harvest, that the Bible, hallelujah, this is a promise, right, in this verse, that God says that in a proper time, right, not maybe right away, because honestly, let's just be real, if God answered your prayer when you wanted him to, then you probably would thank your intelligence or you would thank, um, who knows, um, you know, your friend down the street or you wouldn't even think that it was God. But what God does is God is in the business, hallelujah, of bringing us into situations where, where everyone will know that God, that it was God that did it, right? I thought about, you know, Exodus chapter 14 when God was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, right? Then in Exodus chapter 14, that the Bible says that God brought the Israelites to the Red Sea, right? And then the Pharaoh's army was coming down on them. And, you know, Moses, it wasn't until the last second, right? Right when Moses, you know, struck his staff on the ground and the sea parted, right? But the Israelites were in this situation. Literally in Exodus chapter 14, uh, verse, verse four, God says to Moses, he says, and then I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, right? And he said, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Hallelujah. And so what I see is I see God brought the Israelites into this situation and he allowed them to get all the way to their backs against the Red Sea, right? Pharaoh's army is coming down and you got to ask the question, God, why didn't you just part the sea before? Why did you bring them there, God? Why did you orchestrate this whole thing so the Israelites would then just cross over the Red Sea? But I believe that God brought the Israelites into that moment because God needed them to, hallelujah, gain dependence on him. Oh, hallelujah. This is for somebody right now. That God brought the Israelites into the Red Sea because God knew that they needed to gain independency 
on him, that they needed to learn and they needed to grow in their faith because he knew that they were going to need that faith for the journey ahead. That there was something, hallelujah, God knew that when they got, hallelujah, to Jericho, right, when they got to the promised land, when they got to that next season, that they were going to need their faith to be increased to the point where they knew that God was able to do it. So God allowed them to get in that difficult situation, right? God has allowed you to get in this difficult situation where you have not seen the harvest yet, right, where you've been sowing seeds and you're saying, God, what are you doing? I feel like time is running out, right? I feel like, God, why am I still in the middle of this, God? What's going on? But what God said is God said that God has left you there right now, not because he's forsaken you, because the Bible says that God will never leave us or forsake us, but God is getting us to a point, hallelujah, when we see the harvest, that we will be able to say, yeah, you know, that was not me. That was God. I knew it was the hand of God. I knew it was the powerful right hand of God and that we're going to give God glory out of it because God's agenda is to continue to advance his kingdom, not to advance my kingdom. So I thank God for the seasons that I'm in right now. If I still haven't seen the, the harvest come from the seeds that I'm sowing, then I know that God is bringing that in a proper time and in due season. If I continue to serve and if I continue to love and I continue to give of my time, my talent and my resources, right? Not because it's something I have to do, but because it's all about growing God's kingdom, right? If I get committed to sowing seeds into other people and serving and loving and making it more about God and less about me, that I know that I will reap a harvest in due season. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I would love for you to subscribe to our show. That way you can not only follow what we're studying at Rise Up, but you can also be a part of this family that God's growing to advance His kingdom. If you're interested in joining the family on our Thursday night service, you can visit www.graceoutreachchurch.org and go to the Rise Up page for more details. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on the Rise Up podcast.